0: Hello and welcome to American Girls, the podcast where we're reliving the American Girl series book by book. I'm Mary and I'm just going to take this opportunity to quickly introduce the episode you're about to hear. We are so, so excited for the fact that we had Margaret Lyons, New York Times television critic, Join us on our last episode covering the Kirsten books. On this episode, we talk about changes for Kirsten. She very graciously came on the show and really had so many amazing insights to share. I also feel like I need to thank her publicly again for participating in a play that we acted out on this episode called Miss Winston's Reply. I found this play among Anna's collection of American Girl materials, and it was just too bizarre not for us to engage in some way. And the fact that it had far more parts than players didn't stop us. Uh, Maybe it should have. I guess you'll be the judge. Allison does a phenomenal job. Margaret and I really roll with it. I try to keep up with everyone else. I don't have a lot of talent for acting. But, you know, we certainly threw everything we had at this performance. I also want to thank Cassie, an NPR reporter, who happened to be my apartment that night. Uh, she came here to record a story about us and the show, which you can check out. It's now online. And I want to thank her because I did not give her any notice. I just threw her into the play and made her do stage directions. So, you know, with little to recommend, you know, myself or my authority to do that, other than the fact that I did present her with some leftover Christmas cookies from my St. Lucia Day Party, You know, so thanks for rolling with those punches, Cassie. Thank you again, Margaret. We had so much fun with you. We hope you please come back on the show whenever you want. We talk about everything that matters in this world from Grey's Anatomy to Kirsten to the John Bonet murder trial to the history of mail. So, without further ado, here's our episode. Enjoy. (sighs) This episode is brought to you by Podcorn.
1: Podcorn is a marketplace connecting podcasters to advertisers for native podcast sponsorships
0: what does that actually mean well for our purposes it means that we don't have to run ads on our show for products and services we don't believe in we take this community really seriously so we've in an ongoing way been trying to match with products that actually meet our mission and our values and are things that we're proud to support so podcorn has been a really wonderful service where we've been able to log on to their site and find a bunch of advertisers who want to work with us that we're excited to work with as well
1: if you're creator and you're looking for brands that you might want to work with, Podcorn is a great option. They have a marketplace mission to give podcasters transparency, creative freedom, and control. And you never give up exclusive rights to your podcast. Click the link in our show notes to learn how to sign up
0: and to learn more about Podcorn. That's right. So just head over to Podcorn.com and get started today. Allison, I've called you here today because you've said a lot of derogatory things about my favorite television show of all time. Of course, I'm talking about Grey's Anatomy.
1: I have. I've also watched 11 seasons.
0: That's not enough. I'm no, sorry. That's fair. For many seasons past that, we've lost many cast members since then. We should have lost more cast members since then, but we're doing what we can with what we have. So I'm sick of hearing about this, so today I've invited the ultimate expert to come and have my back on all things Greys and Kirsten. I'm speaking of none other than New York Times television critic and absolute queen, Margaret Lyons. Guys, thanks for having me. This is a dream come true. Thank you so much for being on the show. This is my dream to be on the show. Wow. Wow. I don't even know where to begin with you, but... I'm wondering, could you possibly take us on your American girl journey? Like where did you where did it come into your life? What does it mean? Why do you like Kirsten when so much evidence seems <laughs> to present itself that it's problematic?
2: So it was definitely just like the typical elementary school kind of early obsession. Um I was into Kirsten and Felicity, and my little sister was into Molly and Samantha. So I think there was some. In addition to liking Kirsten and Felicity, it was also important that it was different than what my little sister was into. Um, And my older sister was, I think, just like a little too old and was not as into AG stuff. But I was, I had the dolls. I had definitely all of the books or read all the books for even the dolls I didn't have. Um, I was also like a really pristine doll steward. So, like, all of my dolls are, like, hair is still perfect. Uh, Like, never took the braids out, never took the outfits, like, because I always was like, oh, I'll never be able to get it, like, as perfect as it is. Um, And, like, that was a tragedy that had befallen me before that I learned from. (laughs) Uh, So, I was, like, a pretty fastidious kid about that kind of stuff. Um, Yeah, I mean, it was also part of, like, I think Kirsten appealed to me because I also liked, you know, Little House on the Prairie and... Little Women and Anne of Green Gables and lots of sort of like, it's me, a fluffy girl and everyone else mm-hmm. is like, not doing stuff. Um, and I have to like be really brave and it's really important for me to like have a stiff upper lip and, and focus on like, um, you know, like staying strong and, and not getting too sad about circumstances or whatever. And I was like very into those kinds of like brave girl narratives.
0: Yeah, I think that's totally relatable. I think a lot of us are into American Girl and Kirsten specifically um, for that. And I also like the fact that her tagline seems to be have heart. I mean, seems to speak to what you're saying.
2: (laughs) Yeah, definitely. But like sort of, uh, you know, the most important thing about her is that she can be more determined than other people, which is like in your control rather than something like you have to be the most talented or like the tallest or the most athletic or whatever that are sort of harder to be in charge of where it's like, oh, I can be as determined as I want. And that's something that like, as a little kid feeling like maybe you're not always going to have like the best blank, but your own like ability to be um, like loyal and uh, I don't know, even keel or whatever. Like those are things that that were more manageable.
0: hundred percent, hundred percent. And what has it been like to now as a grown person revisit these books and sit with kirsten
2: (laughs) (laughs) it's been weird it has been weird um i reread a ton of the books um when i was writing the article about your podcast and sort of about um, ag stuff in general and the biggest thing for me was that the books like don't end they just stop like there's no ending in the books it's like the plot continues until the last second and then
0: it's done
2: that's that's oh, like i'd not remembered sort of how abrupt everything is um and then in the kirsten books in particular her proximity to dead bodies is more <coughs> there's more of that than i had internalized um and i was like definitely a uh, like an easily spooked kid and so like stuff that was like very frightening or pretty gross was like stuff that i i thought i would remember better um but I did not remember. Her, um, I did not remember that that part of this book for sure.
0: I mean, look, this is not a true crime podcast, <laughs> but it is today. <laughs> There's, yeah,
2: but I do think that, like, in general, like, I, I, I don't regret Kirsten Stanning, and and also I was a Felicity Stan, too. Like, oh, I right. definitely, you know, was like. I remember vividly as a little kid trying to do the, like, thank you, I shall take no tea move (laughs) as, like, oh, here's a way to be rude and polite at, like, the same time. (laughs) Um, And my mom, no one else in my family, like, being able to parse my um, weird, like, tea ritual gesture and everyone just being like what are you talking about
0: (laughs) and didn't your family also kind of question you wanting to practice swedish culture when (laughs) you discovered kirsten
2: yes sure i mean i and obviously that's part of like a general like i want to go somewhere with a dumb waiter because i read *Hired the spy and was like i get all of the snooping i just i don't i need to be able to have a dumb waiter to get like the full experience um, so, like, wanting to do stuff that was in books was a pretty uh, standard request in my childhood, and my parents were pretty used to um, casually or uh, instructionally <laughs> denying <laughs> these kind of strange requests.
1: I mean, those things are still within the realm of possibility. Like, a dumb waiter is feasible. People who romanticize superheroes—they are probably not going to change, right? In telephone booths.
2: <laughs> I mean, I don't think like, are there that many dumb
0: waiters around?
1: Yeah. Well, I think, I think depending on where you are, maybe, maybe, maybe that's the house museum in me speaking. But.
0: <laughs> it's is also it not, like, not to call Allison out, but Allison also <laughs> does live in a house with a Butler's pass through, which sure. tragically due to the reorganization <laughs> of the floor plan is between the dining room and the bathroom. <laughs> okay. Yes. Well, I mean, it's a story of hope, I guess, in some ways. Like, you may find a dumb waiter at some point.
2: And now I think I'm probably too big to just crawl in it and do my snooping from there. But hmm. maybe never say someday. Never, I, never I, say I, never.
0: I, yeah. Keep hope alive. That's how I feel. <laughs> Unless you're Kirsten, in which case, you should probably run away from home and never come back because you're living with a serial killer.
2: Who do More you think is... that me?
0: later. <laughs> yeah. Margaret, who's the serial killer? We even have to ask at this case. <laughs>
2: I'm curious to hear theories. I've seen enough cop shows to know that when you start with a conclusion, you are backing yourself into that and you want to open yourself to every possibility. I have a notebook
0: that like I could be on a detective show right now. I have a theory of the crime. I've collected my evidence. I'm not going to let facts stop me. I have a conclusion. I know who the killer is. I'm prepared to make an arrest.
1: Mary's like a pre-thin blue line detective where she's like, the read technique works. Thank you. Right?
0: Irish heritage where I'm yeah. like pure force. Yeah, you like you've chosen. Things. I yeah. don't
1: disagree, but I will also say I did not remember the deaths. We didn't remember Marta's death, which is shocking. No. But then again, like you said, there really is no ending, there's no finality in these books. We don't really have a wrap-up, and then we have the shocking retrospective history piece that it's like, well, Kirsten probably became a housewife, not much more. And that's kind she of She probably got mail.
0: Thanks. Bye. And yeah. <laughs> you're like, what? And also there's a massive time jump in this book at multiple ends of chapters where you're dying to know what happens like the next moment. And then you open the next chapter and it's like, anyway, now we're in March and the snow is melting and we've all moved on and hopefully the body's been buried at this point, but who no. can say? I
2: was expecting there to be some acknowledgement of that actually having occurred. Uh, there was not
0: sure not getting that in this book it kind of (laughs) though not to move too far off grace before we do get into this book the writing in this book and the plot lines is very shonda like and that janet shaw is just making things happen with no rhyme or reason there's no limit to what might be realistically possible in this situation like vis-a-vis the hospital shooting season finale where it's just like we need to just move from plot point A to what I have imagined the conclusion to be, and I'll get there any way I need. The body count can be literally anything at this point.
2: I also think in the terms of like how Shonda-ish it is, it has that kind of push of you will get the most emotional information from a character when they're at the most emotional possible crisis. And so like putting everybody in a terrible scenario is when you're going to see kind of true colors emerge um, which I think is like a hallmark of the Shonda sphere is is sort of that like getting pushed past your breaking point, and then you get your sort of screaming, weeping monologue of like your true essence.
0: There were moments during this book when I did think to myself, somebody sedate me. <laughs> it didn't happen, but I thought about it. But I do think that's a really excellent point. And just to briefly get your thoughts on Grays this season, can I get your thoughts and feelings and and what you would do if you were Shonda and had the keys right now?
2: I would bring Addison back and get rid of Amelia. Um and I would like I would have gotten rid of Amelia. Like Amelia would never have existed, period, for um <laughs> me. I just don't like I don't care for that character. Um <laughs> Love I just, it. just don't. Although I will say she's been surprisingly less annoying this season than I think in perhaps years past. But Agreed. I think the show like would benefit from Addison coming back. I also think we need just like more um spicy relationship stuff like there's no it's like very de-sexed right now and sort of like the lack of love interests for everybody like Meredith and DeLuca doesn't make sense to me I kind of think at this point that Meredith and Alex are pretty much endgame, and like Joe Mm. I have not been super invested in her story ever and I think that the sort of like Joe and Alex finally complete each other stuff is just like not really scanning for me um but I do Mm -hmm. think we are due for a pretty big shake-up uh that's not like me reading tea leaves. That's just like me as a fan wanting um again for the wall for the halls to be like cleansed with a just blood or whatever with like <laughs> another time of like real shift for the show. I think like whatever is gonna kick in, I just want it to be um you know, I think there's sort of angle this season of like, isn't healthcare messed up? It's like just kiss and fight. Like I don't be <laughs> like am the one. Whiny- yes.
0: On the one hand, it is kind of shocking that the only person calling out the healthcare system seemingly in our country right now is like Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, and Meredith Gray, where it's like, <laughs> what's happening? But also it's like, I don't come to grace for this. I don't want this. Like like you're saying, I don't care about literally any relationship on the show right now, which is so not how I want to feel tuning in. And I am very upset that both Calliope Torres and Arizona are off the show. More to Calli- more Cali than Arizona, frankly, but... They brought something to it, but at least their tension was interesting. I mean, even through the musical episode, like I've stayed through that. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the worst episodes
2: I've ever seen of anything. And I say this as a huge Grays fan, but that musical episode. I was like,
0: oh, my God. I mean, that's when I knew I was really a Leo where I was like, wow, I really am loyal because I'm still watching this show after that.
2: I am a Leo as well, so
0: <gasps> you are. Yep. Wow, this friendship was predestined, <laughs> Allison. I don't know if you need to take a back seat at this point. No, but I'm good. As a Virgo, Allison's going to like assert herself at a certain point no. with her massive organizational skills and take us both out. I took Karev out
1: of my life about three years ago, so wow, how he's still around, I don't know.
0: Also, where are we going with this comp- competing hospital, like? Everyone's jumping ship to work there. I don't care about that place. <laughs> Burn it to the ground. Something oh. needs to happen. <laughs> like Listen, but that could, she's inspired me. Maybe she said, well, I mean, I don't know. What I'm saying is there needs to be, we're running out of natural disasters and human born disasters that Shonda can throw to, to do a radical rewrite at the end of a season. So I don't know what she has left. But that's where
2: she thrives, right? Like you think what could be after this? And then it's like a wolf ate Lexi, you know, like that's <laughs> a different level.
0: That's fair. That that was next level. Ideally, Christina would come back. She's my favorite all time character on the show. But, you know, Killing Eve being what it is, I guess. It's not in the cards. Although I saw people rebelling against your tweet about what shows did you divorce in 2019 and, People said Killing Eve and that was tough to read.
2: I was surprised how many people said Killing Eve, but I do think that like it is a very, like we had an amazing fling, but maybe it's not like relationship material for everybody. Um, It is for me, but I can see why it's sort of like, oh, it's really exciting while it's exciting. But once it's in the sort of, I don't know phase, then it's like, well, I don't have time for this, Um, (laughs) which I get.
0: Fair enough. Allison. did you divorce a show in 2019?
1: (sighs) Um, I've gotten even better now. I think of just stopping watching things like I have been told for about five years that I would love six feet under and I just couldn't get invested in it. And as with books in 2018 and 2019, I just quit. If if I don't like them, I just leave. I stop. So
0: more of that. I basically just keep library books out until I owe $10 in fines, mm-hmm. and then the shame just compounds, and then I feel like I've gotten myself into like a huge crime, and then it implodes on itself, and I don't actually finish the books, and that's kind of where I'm at this week in my life, so my TV life actually seems more functional, but it's not great. Pioneer Quest. Margaret, if you've not watched Pioneer Quest, please. Is that
2: the one of the house shows that you guys were talking about? Yeah. I've watched a bunch of them, and as fans of the genre, you guys might... Like uh, if you have like 13 Passport, which is like the PBS Mm. streaming service, there's a lot of those shows on there, Um, you know, varying degrees of success in terms of how interesting they are, but they are really going for it.
0: They are indeed. Pioneer Quest is the Canadian version and they have like nothing left to lose and are way too in it. So it's like things just go way sideways and I don't want to ruin it for you, but it's, <laughs> it's really special. It's something. Um, but anyway, let's not waste one more minute and get into this book. Allison, do you have a recap ready to go? I do. I do.
1: So to get us started... This is the last book. This is not our last time with Kirsten. More on that to come. Um, but in Changes for Kirsten, published 1988, we learn. Kirsten wonders if the cold Minnesota winter will ever end. It's crowded in the tiny log cabin, and Kirsten looks forward to the days she's allowed to help her brother Lars outside with his trap line. One day she brings home a baby raccoon. Bad idea. That's me. She's found in the woods, and trouble begins. The raccoon gets loose and starts a fire that destroys the Larson's home and everything in it. The future seems bleak until Kirsten and Lars go back into the woods and make a frightening but important discovery. Two very, very critical points that are not brought here and were never introduced prior to this book. Many of the men in this kind of small community have left to go logging elsewhere, so they are missing Um, To the point about the raccoon, that raccoon does start the fire a la Billy Joel and faces no consequences (laughs) a la Billy Joel for misdeeds. Um, The future does indeed look bleak because this family has $8 and only seems to be making cloth diapers. However, Kirsten and Lars, this is not a frightening discovery. This is a dead body. This is a man with no surname, we will talk about this later, who is found dead in the woods, who they mistrust because of his trapping abilities. The money that they are needing because of this raccoon fire actually comes literally from prying things from his dead body, furs that they sell to acquire a new home. Again, men are mysteriously missing, people are going dead, body count is rising, we'll get into it.
0: I don't even know where to begin with this book, but just really quick aside, when you mentioned Billy Joel also has no ramifications for any of his actions, it made me think of Doris Duke and how they both did things. They hit people with their cars or things and both never saw any ramifications for that. Yeah. Margaret, do you know about Doris Duke and her car misdeeds? I do not. Allison, do you want to offer as a former Newport tour guide, we won't say where, not the Doris Duke house?
1: I can. I am a former proud guide. Of Newport. Um, So Doris Duke is known as a very big philanthropist in certain circles and a very, very prominent preservationist. Um, But there is a timeline that can be put together. I'll put it that way. Wherein Doris Duke primarily became interested in preservation after hitting someone with her vehicle who was on her staff and pinning him up against her gate. She was not supposed to be driving. Her other staff person was supposed to be driving. Police chiefs were paid off. There is now this massive um, foundation that does like really tremendous work all in her name and literally dozens of colonial homes that never would have been restored, refinished, um, that are all either open to the public or open to renters in Rhode Island because of Doris Duke.
0: How much did her estate pay you to offer that mostly positive account of her life?
1: (laughs) Not enough. I'll say that. Um, I will say... (laughs) One thing I learned about her that I absolutely loved was despite all of her fortune, if she didn't feel like having a big meal or if she wasn't very hungry, you weren't hungry. And I like people who are just not so okay. wealthy and eccentric, they just completely go for it. She was like, no way from home, keeping it basic. Her camels always ate very well, and they are honored today in topiary form on her estate. The staff member that she murdered is not honored. <laughs> so. I mean Jean Carson could get down.
0: I also remember from her house tour that she had a swan from Tiffany made of gold on her yeah. dining room table and when she would go to her hon- her Hawaii mansion during the winter like the swan had to go on the private jet. Yes. It's like, her Shangri-La. I can't yeah. winter without my Tiffany swan like it's just I'm sorry this is
1: Well why should she have to.
0: Yeah. I mean how many chauffeurs have to die for her to have her Tiffany swan and Honolulu. well no it wasn't Honolulu but no. I watch a show for old people called CBS Sunday morning where they do that like magazine show and they just did a feature on her Hon- Hawaii house which is worth watching
1: it's actually a major center for Islamic art
0: also I know so I she I has warned, like
1: but... everything's a twofer um I will say this about Kirsten I'm proud of her for getting done what needed to get done her I'm I'm just gonna call it abduction of a raccoon was absolutely ridiculous <laughs>
0: margaret your thoughts on any of this (laughs) i thought that lars was wrong and
2: he's like i kept thinking there was gonna be like of course we can't just raid this guy's stash that's insane we only have on gossip that he has no family we've done (laughs) no investigation whatsoever we haven't spoken to anyone who might know more about that there was just i kept thinking that was going to kind of come back in some capacity of like Oh, to have integrity, to, like, not steal, which is what they definitely did, Um, not to kind of just, like, seize um, other people's possessions, especially, I think, in the kind of um, colonial context that this book is uh, part of, that there was going to be any meaningful, I guess I shouldn't be that surprised that there was kind of no meaningful reckoning with, like, what do you do when... um, when you just steal the entire like life's work of a person and just use it for your benefit. Is there anything wrong with that? Um, and in the book, the answer is no. Um, and, and I think that's a pity because, uh, spiritually, I think the answer is yes, there's a lot very wrong with that. Mm -hmm. Um,
1: So chapter one is entitled On the Trap Line, which feels like something we would hear on like MTV in the 1990s, (laughs) but it is actually about trapping animals. And the opening line of this book, which I absolutely adored, and I was like, I'm paying attention now. Kirsten can't come with us, Jon Stewart said. We've never met him really before this. Trapping is work for boys, not girls. And then Lars intercedes and and allows her. And we learn from the very beginning that the Larsons and their extended network, including the Stuarts, are doing trapping differently than old Jack. And we're also learning that they're clearly doing it wrong because old Jack has the bulk of what this community has been able to acquire. On page 43, for those reading along, this is where we get the harrowing death scene. And Kirsten asks really like the white question of the 19th century. Do you mean they're ours, like finders keepers? No, it's not like finders keepers. If old Jack were alive and we found something he'd lost, we would give it back to him. But he's dead and gone, and we can't give back those furs. We can't give him anything but a proper burial, which they also do not give him. He doesn't even have a family to look at. We've had no evidence of any of
0: this. Can I just, I'm sorry, but I really need to take us all back for a second and just make an announcement and then I will prove the announcement, but I'm making an announcement at this time. Lars murdered old Jack, period. With a trap? I don't know the method. I can speculate on that. I'm speculating some kind of poison or something that didn't alter him physically, but here's where I would just love to put together a timeline real fast if you'll both indulge me for a moment. On page five, we get a weirdly specific biography of Old Jack. Old Jack is the oldest trapper in these parts, John told her. He came west as an explorer and stayed on. He lives by himself way back in the woods. He doesn't have a family and never did. Who cares? Why does that matter? Like, Why are you shaming this man for like living as a single man in the woods? Whatever. Moving on. Let me take us next to... Can Uh, I just say,
1: also, why is he garbage for, quote, he dresses all in leather clothes? Thank
0: you. So did Elvis in his 1968 comeback special, one of the greatest looks of all time. I'm beating my desk now with this book. It's fine. Sorry, Margaret. Feel free to tell tell me to calm down at any time.
2: No, I I just want to hear the rest of the timeline.
0: I just want your respect. Okay, now I'm jumping to page 38. So they go into the woods. It's just Lars and Kirsten at this time. Lars is like, there's an owl flying. Obviously we're out here too late. I I refuse to engage the timeline of that. Moving on. So he's like, Kirsten's like, maybe we should go back through the woods. And Lars says, great idea. Why don't we go back through the woods? And if we find, they see some footprints. He's like, oh, that's probably old Jack's footprints. Let's find where he lives. He'll have a lantern we can borrow. No problem. They come upon a cave with a door on it that is old Jack's house. So they get to his they go up to the door and Lars says, quote, the door's unlatched. Keep that in mind. He pushes into the house, which is then when we find out that old Jack is dead sitting up against the wall. If old Jack was there by himself, why is the door unlatched from within? If he was in there for the night or in there just hanging out, wouldn't you lock your door? Or Maybe latch if it? I was
2: going to duck back out because it's like you know there's no indoor plumbing it's like let me just sit down for a second before I continue my kind of nightly routine
0: um
2: I also it was not clear to me how long we were supposed to think that old Jack had been dead because if those are his footprints on the snow that day then he perhaps was not dead and could be resuscitated (laughs) like even with sort of frontier medicine it's like did he die one second ago (laughs) is that I don't how long has he been dead
0: Literally, we have absolutely no idea. And then there's also this kind of crazy aside by Janet Shaw on page 40, in which she says, Janet writes, he made old Jack, he made Kirsten think of an animal of the forest, a fox, maybe. And it's like, I'm sorry, we're calling a dead old man's body. We're likening that to a fox? Like, what's happening? I I don't understand this. This is very strange to me. Then next page, Lars says, quote, let's look around. So Lars is calling her attention to the fact that they should start exploring the cave. Kirsten's basically asking questions that are like, what's going to happen to his body? Like, how do we resolve the fact that like his body is here? And She's asking questions from that place. And Lars completely takes it elsewhere and basically takes us to that weird conversation, which is like, Kirsten, this is on 43. Kirsten, do you know what I think Papa would tell us? And it's this insane dialogue, imagined dialogue of what their dad would tell them to do in this situation, which Margaret, as you said before, was like, he would tell us to keep the pelts. I mean not finders keepers but he has no family and it's like i get there were before ancestry.com but surely somebody can do some kind of minimal research to figure out whether or not this man has any living relatives because we're talking about not a small amount of money here comparatively.
2: We're talking about like a life-changing amount of money for the Larsons, right? Like this is Hugely. a huge amount of money. Also, that is what finders keepers is. Yeah. So it's like yeah. like finders keepers? No, it's like Yes, yeah. <laughs> exactly what Finders <laughs> Keepers is. We found all this stuff and we're keeping it.
0: That's but it's like Finders classic Keepers. white people stuff where they're like, no, 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 no. It's not stealing. We're liberating these pelts because they've been, you know, like they're. it's just like nonsense talk.
2: I also thought there was a lot of ways that old Jack was maybe coded as native or like native adjacent in ways that was like not totally dealt with. Um, And I was curious, especially because like the trapping stuff, I don't know if you guys watched the TV show, The Last Alaskans. I highly recommend it. It's one of my favorites. Many of the people on that show are also like trappers and they have a trap line. And it sounds like a lot of the methods and um, even like mechanics are still pretty similar in a lot of ways. Versus obviously old Jack who's using um, like non-mechanical, like non-metal methods. Um, But some of the ways they were describing like what he wore and how like quietly he moved through the forest reminded me of some of the ways that, um, that the characters had talked about um, singing bird and like, um, it's like, no, she just wears soft shoes, right? Like those kinds of questions and those kinds of descriptions. So all the ways that that was being coded and then for it to develop into literally just like raiding all of his property Um, It's like, this is pretty on the nose now um, for something that's going otherwise unacknowledged.
1: Can I bring in a supplemental text? Please Please do. Several listeners reached out and they said, you have to read Kirsten on the Trail very closely. So I did. I'm listening. A a, a cursory close read, (laughs) shall we say. Um, (laughs) This is the only place where Singing Bird actually gets to reemerge. So Singing Bird does come back in this text. And Margaret, you couldn't have segued more beautifully if you'd tried. All of this book is about how Singing Bird has this kind of innate knowledge of how to track and how to find a brother who goes missing. In the book, Kirsten is trying to find her brother. Um, there's constant hijinks with these brothers that that requires a whole other show. <laughs> um, but the way that they talk about people's relationship to the land, this is the text that definitively identifies how Singing Bird fits into the indigenous culture of what is now considered Minnesota. Um, There's also like quite a bit of interesting language in the same way that Josefina's book really used a lot of passive voice or there were maps that were mysteriously just changing. This text tells us in the 1840s and 1850s, large numbers of settlers moved into Minnesota and beyond. By 1854, the Ojibwa and Sioux had ceded. They don't help us know how to say those names, but they spell out ceded or given up most of their land in Minnesota to the United States or given up most of their land. White settlers had overrun Indian hunting grounds and killed many animals. The wild animals were also leaving the land because the settlers were building farms. The Sioux didn't have enough to eat, so they were forced to leave. And part of where I think this fits in perfectly with Old Jack, the way that Old Jack is thought of to be maybe fox-like or foxy, it's very much like singing bird being thought of as a deer, and -hmm. the way that they make a direct parallel between There are indigenous people who aren't able to find food. There are animals who aren't able to find food. They both seem to just
0: disappear. Also, the only material object that gets identified in the cave beyond the pelts is an Indian blanket that they wrap his body in, which they reference multiple times.
2: And this also isn't the first time that she's gone to a cave that has, (laughs) right? So she's like big on cave um, needs. I guess. And previously it was a cave that singing bird had told her about or had brought her to. This is a different cave, but she has raided a cave stocked from an indigenous person before. Like this is not her first time at, at um, that cave, I guess.
1: I don't want to take us away from the indigenous conversation too early. I do just want to say the way that Lars lured her into that cave and set a series of traps and stories. We see you. Is the only trapping you're good at, Lars, is exactly. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. It's exactly what Jean-Benet Ramsey's father did. It is. It's, it's the exact same thing when he invites the wealthy neighbor over and he says, "What if we looked in this back room?"
0: Oh, oh, right. Yes, and
1: before. Before he turns the light on, he knows that Jean-Benet is underneath the blanket. Does he wow. not?
0: No, that's Margaret no. Margaret and I are just staring at you right now. Like for those of us at home, I know this is an audio medium. Um, it's an exact parallel. Uh, I don't know if exact is correct, but it's a parallel. That's for sure. I do think there is something super nefarious about using storytelling and to lead someone to a conclusion you've already determined for yourself. It's it is so manipulative. And I think that's what really, I mean, there's so much that bothered me about that chapter, but the way that Kirsten gets manipulated by her brother to be morally okay with something that would be life-changing for their family, but in the moment is so to my mind, morally suspect and just flat out wrong and the way that the book, no one in the book has any problems with it. And the what I was mentioning before about these chapter jumps that lead us into big jumps in time is that after, so he stays up all night and ties the pelts to the toboggan and they're going to go home the next morning. When they go home, it's just like, okay, they went home. And then the next chapter begins, like it's months later. So we have no idea what that moment must have been like when he arrives home and goes to the mom and says, hey, mom. I know Kirsten burnt the house down. We'll get to that in a little while. Um, We need 500 bucks to buy this house and the farm and so on. I found a solution. Sidebar, old Jack is dead. I stole all his stuff. We can sell it at profit and we'll change our lives. What do you imagine the whole family's response was to that? We've talked about how in
1: the early book, the family is both very physically tight and there's an intimacy to them because they're in all these tight spaces. They move directly from the ship where they're in tight spaces. They're in the boarding house or on the train. And we talked about how there's this gender segregation that becomes more and more sharply defined across the six books. What was striking to me is like, nobody knows what anyone else is doing. Like I was so shocked that the father was out logging. I had to go and like look back at my notes. I didn't know he was out of town. I didn't know Mr. Stewart was out of town. Have never heard of John. I actually think it fits perfectly within the context of what Janet is trying to do with these books. Like no one's really concerned with the details of anyone's life. Things just happen. Whereas like mom got slightly nauseous in the bottom of the boat and it was three pages in book one. Like nobody knows what anyone's doing, right?
0: It's true.
2: I also imagine coming home from your, like, logging um, season as, like, Papa, we're so happy. Can you do us one favor? <laughs> um, okay, so, like, there was no indication that anyone had ever heard of old Jack. I was like, where were you guys last night? It's like, Mom, I have amazing news. Okay, well, depends. But there's this guy, old oh, Jack, It's like, really? Who? It's like, don't worry. There's, like, a lot of... Just
0: like a lot of information is not being given
2: to all yes. of the parties. There's just the like only a person
0: thing. I imagine what Lars should have done is go immediately to Aunt Inger. Yes, who is basically like the ghostwriter of the art of the deal. If nothing else in this book, like she's constantly on a hustle. Like there's an amazing scene where she kind of like goes at John uh, Stewart about how much his family is going to charge for their home now that they're moving to Oregon. And she's like, well, okay, you have four rooms and there's a window in each room. So what are we talking about here? And he's like, my dad says I must take $500. And she's like, okay, that's a fair price. But you can tell that she's like treating him like an adult and going at him in this like very deal making way. So in... I don't know if we're meant to understand that their lives are so tough that they're all just so practical that morality takes a back seat when you have a life-changing amount of money in front of you. But at the same time, there's this weird morality that goes through the book as well, that also seems to be thrown out the window at will. So it's just very it was a it was so troubling to me that we never hear about him again. We never hear, like, oh, they went back and Papa said the prayers at the body are like. Uh, They're like a couple on HGTV where he's like, hey, my name is Lars. I'm
1: 13 years old. I occasionally trap in the woods. Um, My sister's name is Kirsten. We're interested in a $500 house. And their agent, Aunt Inger, is like, great. I have just the place. She's like, there are three houses. One burned down. There are three families. Part of what made me think of this, I was like, I feel like Chip and Joanna Gaines wrote page 54 Sunlight shone through the glass window as though a hundred candles lit the room. I was like, I want to live here. The house smelled of the bread Mrs. Stewart had baked for her family's journey to Oregon and of lye soap. Peter sat Britta down on the scrub floor. She crawled to the table and pulled herself up and laughed as though she announced, here we are. And it continues with this beautiful thing where I was like, this is a overly comfortable white family that falls into money. This is perfect HGTV. Like Janet had that on in the background and was like, I know how it ends.
0: I know exactly what to do. Well, this is a world where white people are never responsible for any of their actions. And it comes through really strongly in the fact that Kirsten literally burns down the family home. And no one says a word to her <laughs> about that.
2: And there's no ongoing discussion of, like, what kind of trauma that is for everyone. Right. It's like, oh, sort of fun to have a slumber party every day, except for you, Peter. LOL. And it's like, this is a horrible thing has happened. A terrible also, thing. Like, um you know, there. I thought there was going to be a scene of, like, attempting to recover anything. No. Right? Of, like, so would dish plates have survived a fire or, like, the rifle and stuff? I was like, I probably could survive a fire, right? Like, but there was no conversation of, like, it was sad, like, digging through the, like, ashy remnants of our home or whatever. There was just kind of these, like, catastrophic moments. And then eight days, like, then we just jump ahead in time without, like, any, um any... Yeah reflection period or any kind of like there's no sense making for the characters there also really isn't like a sense making moment for the narrative in general of like okay like new beginnings mean blank or like it's hard Mm. to say goodbye to things but sometimes that's what happens or like all of the suffering will occur around us no matter what and it's important to find moments of joy and beauty to like celebrate and consecrate good things right like all of these things that like are part of the series i think broadly speaking but then in this book in particular are just like totally disregarded and we're getting those big moments but none of the actual big feelings that go with them yes right that like these things that are really terrible and would be really frightening and and hugely um important and and they happen but there's no real emotional reckoning that happens too which i missed
0: When you were talking about Shonda Rhimes earlier, you said that in this book, something that reminded you of Shonda was that you only see people's emotions at moments of like high trauma or something like that. So what was a moment like that in this book for you?
2: Well, I thought there was going to be more of those like breakthroughs that like for Kirsten or especially for Mama. I thought that like Uh she's been through a lot and that there would be a bigger like um, breakdown of like, we told you not to bring this raccoon in. Like what... (laughs) Everyone Even says saying every- those
0: hearing you say those words, it's like,
2: <laughs> it's like multiple people told you this for like with multiple vectors of reasoning, right? Like he maybe is sick or he is maybe not sick or whatever. Like there's lots of reasons not to do any raccoon maintenance. Um, <laughs> and those were ignored. And I thought that like there was going to be some kind of like full meltdown from Mom, Or even from Aunt Inger to kind of be like, you guys don't understand what is happening right now. And like, <laughs> there are customs here that like are really important. And maybe you are unaware of what those guidelines are. But when someone dies, we don't just like take all their <laughs> <shit. That's> not, <laughs> We don't do that. Like, It's not gonna happen. Like we have policies in place. Like, come on. Um, and then Kirsten's there, there, like,
0: "What do you mean?" And then actually, like, opens up like a box and has all of Marta's possessions. It's <laughs> like, finders keepers.
2: <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. Finder's it's
0: keepers. but it's it's weird that Janet Shaw would choose to never center the parents' experience because I feel like even in Felicity's books, when the mother was sick. So much of it was on Felicity having to kind of grow up fast to be the caretaker, but you did get a sense that you're in the sick room with the mother at different moments. So you're seeing Mm -hmm. the weight of what her responsibility in her life is having on her life, even as Felicity struggles to understand it or kind of empathize as a nine-year-old. But here after the fire, all we get is a very childlike um, exchange between Kirsten and Peter in which they compete over who took who saved the most important thing from the house. And Kirsten <laughs> says, I saved the trunk. And Peter's like, but I saved the baby. And it's like, what's like, it's just a very childlike exchange. And then in, when they're in the Aunt Inger's house, uh, Elizabeth says, uh, they're like, Anna's like, it's so fun to have all four of us sleeping in the same bed. And Lisbeth clearly doesn't agree. And Kirsten feeling this says, I'm going to go out trapping today so that you'll have more space to play paper dolls. And Elizabeth Love basically that. just says, thank you. Like, <laughs> yes, you, you do take up a lot of space here.
1: I, I related so hard to her picking up the trunk. Like, I feel like, you know what I'm going to say. Maybe not you, Margaret, but <laughs> so last week I went to the sale of props from the forthcoming Greta Gerwig Little Women production because it happened in my area. And I bought Beth's Piano Forte, which I have chosen to rewrite as the object on which she dies because her bed linens had been taken by another person. So she dies on the Piano Forte in my version, but it is the one from the film. And I had this put into my trunk and then I came home and my driveway was all icy and I needed it in my house. And I was like, the way that other mothers lift cars or Kirsten lifted her trunk, I lifted the Piano Forte out of my vehicle and carried it underneath my arm into the house. (laughs) <laughs> wow i mean <laughs> i'm not saying it's the same but i feel like the duress you know, system-
0: not all heroes wear capes some no. of them play piano from movie sets that they buy in worcester massachusetts
1: what's wrong with that
0: nothing i yeah. also love that somebody came to that sale you said and said i just want to show me everything meryl streep touched
1: yeah and they were <laughs> like we can't do that
0: <laughs> i do love that
2: were Beth linens for sale and someone did purchase them?
1: Indeed. So I turned to the person who was administering this sale and I said, someone came through with intentions for Beth objects. And she was like, you're not wrong because a lot of Beth things had been taken already. And that's why I was there because she's the best character. And the woman was like, you you can't. Like, They're mostly gone. She's like, you can have a ton of Meg and Amy stuff. And I was like, you know that's why, not why I'm here. She's like, I do, I do. <laughs> so,
0: do you? Wow. So, Margaret, where are you at with Little Women? Like, do you have any thoughts about best characters, best film adaptations, anything <laughs> of the kind?
2: So, I don't like any of the previous film adaptations, which is a little against, um, I guess, brand. I think most people, I most, uh, most of my friends would like the '90s version. I just never did. Um,
0: wow.
2: I am a big Little Women person broadly speaking. Um, I mean, I feel like Margaret's, you have to have like a solidarity for any character named Margaret. And as a Margaret who went by Meg at summer camp, I have like a deep Meg solidarity. Um, I mean, I think it's kind of cliche to be like, Joe's the best character. Like she's obviously the best character. Um, I think like as a middle sister, my like, and I did once have Scarlet Fever. So like I do obviously have like a Beth affinity too. It's more just like, deep Amy hatred, I would say is like my more important like North Star for that rather than like a specific other March sister that I love the most. Mm. Um, but I will also recommend that one adaptation that I did like a lot and it is on Amazon is a um anime and uh adaptation of Little Women that I watched Mm. as a kid. Um it has like a really fun, catchy um credits song, but like it's about the Civil War. But, um, so it's like a sort of interesting clash of contexts there, (laughs) Um, but it is, it is a pretty faithful adaptation of Little Women and that's on Amazon for any other um, people who want to watch a cartoon adaptation.
0: Wow. Wow. I mean, I think it's fair that you don't like the 90s version, but I'm just glad that you fared better saying that in Allison's presence than um, <laughs> my fiance, who also doesn't like that version and admitted it in front of Allison. And then Allison just took the liberty to call off my wedding. So you know, that was cool. Um, <laughs> still I hope happening. it still it's happens. Hard. Yeah. Um, but I agree with you that Amy is Amy's just the worst. And so I feel like that's the most important thing to carry with you. But I mean, can you at least be with me on the level that Winona Ryder is a worthy actress and, like, worth caring about? Oh, Slash, sure. Or you're upset about the Tresemme or is it Herbal Essences ads as I was that it's just it's some us, of so it the darkest. Matter. Yeah, they're not paying us. so I don't really care. But um, it's some of the darkest film I've ever seen in my life. They make yes. her literally say, like, Yeah, I mean, it's great when you can reinvent your hair just the way that we kind of, like, reinvent our careers when things happen. (laughs) It's like, what? This is not okay. It's hard out there. I mean, I guess. Yeah.
1: Like, amateur dramatics, are we going to be our own Pickwick Society tonight and do a dramatic reading of Miss
0: Winston's reply? I am more than ready. Margaret, are you prepared – emotionally, spiritually to do this.
2: Yeah, I will just warn listeners, this play is a Matoishka doll of passive aggressiveness.
0: <laughs> I love it.
2: It's
1: <laughs> hard. <I> mean- <laughs> it's hard.
2: It's also like I think um, broadly speaking there's sort of a like Minnesota nice um that can be read as passive aggressive um in oh, other yeah. pages. And this is I think a weird um, instance of that. So, in the ways that it's like playing through, um, like nonverbal cues, it's coming across as like psychotically passive aggressive for it's, people who are more used to direct communication.
0: It's just, it's one of the most disturbing things I've ever read. And in a sense, it brought me back to the traumatic moment in high school when I had to read a performance of a doll's house. Where I was like, I've never seen this much trauma associated with doll material culture as I have reading this play.
1: Can I share with you the tips? We're called players in this. They don't want to call us actors because it's, you know, we're all on a stage here. Stay in character even when you're not speaking. Speak loudly enough for everyone to hear, even if you're whispering. That's a good tip for actors. Um, we also have two kind of like staging scenes. Uh-huh. Like they tell us how Lizbeth, Anna, and Kirsten need to peek out at Miss Wisden and Mr. Boardman when they're trying to have a date or just some kind of gathering. Um, and then when they're playing pretend with their dolls, we have another like method of seating, which is like cross-legged. So just so we're all aware. There's a few wow. different scenes.
0: And also it we're told that you should do this with six people. And obviously there's three of us. So we're gonna be taking on multiple roles. And I yeah. hope that, you know, it's probably gonna get messy at times, but it is what it is. Um, I think Allison will be playing the part of Miss Winston. The role of a lifetime. Her boyfriend. Um, we'll see how that tracks. Uh Margaret, you're bravely taking on Kirsten. <laughs> yes. Uh, I will be taking on the role of seemingly everyone else in this play. And then we do have Cassie here in my apartment with me tonight, who's going to be reading the stage direction. So hold on, let me move this mic. Cassie, hello. Welcome. Thank you. Okay. So... Are you all ready to begin? Does anyone need to do any kind of like method um, butter churning or discovery of a body in a cave or appropriation of native culture or something of the kind?
2: I will just say that the PDF is um, it's in script format, so you're supposed to like fold it up and cut it out and stuff. So I will be bouncing through um, with perhaps less fluency than you might expect.
0: My apologies. I did scan that at an hour when I thought other adults at my job would not have to watch me scanning a play intended to be performed <laughs> by nine-year-old. <laughs> Look, we're all working with what we have, you know, as some say, like no small parts, no totally embarrassing scanning projects, except maybe in this instance. So, <laughs> you know, without further ado, I mean, I think this is going to be inducted into the Library of Congress, archive of great American dramas but i guess like time will tell so this is called miss winston's reply a play set in 1854 by janet shaw let's take it away with some stage directions the scene outside the
3: larson's log cabin in minnesota in september 1855 mama and miss winston are seated close together on a bench rolling yarn into balls Kirsten, Lisbeth, and Anna sit on the ground in front of the bench. They're playing quietly with their dolls. Kirsten's doll is lying down. The girls walk the other dolls around her.
0: Mr. Boardman will be here any minute now. Aren't you excited? Oh, dear. He's been to see you so often lately. I know. Today he might ask you to marry him. Oh, I hope not. Not today. Why not today?
1: Because, well, I don't know how I would answer him. Kirsten overhears Miss
3: Winston. She shushes Elizabeth and Anna, and the girls stop their play to listen eagerly to the
0: women. But he's a fine man. He'd be a good husband. You do care for him, don't you? Yes, I do care for him. I care for him very much. Then why don't you want to marry
1: him? I do want to marry him, but I don't want to move away. I feel at home here now, and I'm afraid he wants to settle out in California.
0: Settle in California? That's a surprise. Has he said he plans to move there? No, not
1: exactly, but his brother's panning for gold in California. I suspect he plans to
0: join his brother.
2: Miss Winston, why don't you ask him what his plans are?
0: Yes, ask him. Uh, (laughs) Hush now, you girls. You're too young to understand these things.
1: Let me try to explain. You see, a lady doesn't ask a gentleman about his plans. That wouldn't be proper. But why, Miss Winston? Let me put it this way. A question about plans is too forward. Forward? Is that like being bold? Yes, Anna, bold. It's not proper to ask personal questions of a man. Not ever, Miss Winston? <laughs> well, not until the couple decide to marry. I mean, it's so
0: hard to talk about. You girls ask too many questions. Go back to your dolls. What game are you playing today? We're playing that sorry is sick.
3: Oh, poor sorry. Miss Winston bends over and picks up sorry.
0: She doesn't look well. We think it's her stomach. She moans and cries.
1: But
2: she won't tell us what's wrong with her.
1: Listen here, miss. If you won't tell what troubles you, how can anyone help? Miss Winston hands sorry back to Kirsten. We'd better put away our work.
0: Mr. Boardman will be here shortly.
1: Ugh, I've got butterflies in my stomach. I'm so nervous. I just don't know what to do. I
0: think what you should do now is put on your
3: fresh blouse. Mama and Miss Winston pick up their yarn and exit. The girls
0: jump happily to their feet.
2: I'm so glad Miss Winston doesn't want to leave Minnesota.
0: I thought she'd want to leave to go back to her family in Maine. I think Mr. Borman's so handsome. I hope he asked her to marry him. Anna
3: clasps her hands and goes down on one knee in front of Kirsten. Please give me your hand
2: in marriage. But if he does ask her to marry him, what will her answer be?
0: She'll say yes. She might say no. You heard her say she's worried about moving to California.
2: But she hasn't told Mr. Boardman what she's worried
0: about. So if Miss Winston refuses to marry him, he won't know why. Picking up sorry and climbing to her feet. If Sari doesn't tell her tell what's troubling her, how can anyone help? It's the same for Miss Winston, isn't it?
2: Yes, she should say what she's feeling.
0: Isn't there some way we can help her say what's in her heart? You heard what Mama said. You're too young to understand these things. Grownups won't listen to what we say.
2: Maybe they won't listen to us, but I've got an idea.
0: The girls bring the dolls and
3: crouch behind the bush. Kirsten whispers and Anna and Lisbeth nod. In a few moments, Mr. Boardman enters from one side and Miss Winston enters from the other.
1: Good day, Miss Winston. Oh, good day,
3: Mr. Boardman. Mr. Boardman and Miss Winston sit nervously on the bench. They don't notice the girls who are peeking over the bush. How are you? Mr. Boardman and Miss Winston laugh embarrassed.
1: The storekeeper asked me to bring this letter to you. Oh, thank you. It's from my father in Maine. I saw that it was. Your family must miss you terribly. And I miss them too. Now's the time to try
3: your plan, Kirsten. Kirsten and Anna move closer to center stage, sit with their backs to the bush, and pretend the dolls are talking to
0: each other. I'm so glad you've come today. I'm so glad you invited me.
1: Why, it's Kirsten and her cousin. What do you suppose they're doing? Oh, they've been playing with their dolls all day. They act out all sorts of stories with them. They have such strong imaginations.
0: I looked forward so much to seeing you. Me too. Remember, your doll is supposed to be Mr. Boardman. Don't forget to keep your voice low like a man's. <clears throat> I mean, and I've looked forward to seeing you. Isn't this a lovely day? It's you who are lovely, my dear.
1: What will these girls think of next? I think they're pretending their dolls are courting. I've never heard them play this game before. We shouldn't listen. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a lot of parts.
2: I think (laughs) passing you as Mr. Boardman and (laughs) Miss
0: Winston was... Our first mistake. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's genius. But I like what
1: I hear. But I like what I hear. The doll is saying what I'm thinking. You are lovely, Miss Winston. Oh, Mr. Boardman! (laughs) The girls are delighted. Keep going.
2: (laughs) Just look around. Isn't the prairie beautiful today? The
0: waving grass reminds me of the ocean waves. Back home! It would be wonderful to live by the sea. You must be homesick for it.
2: I do miss it sometimes, but my life is here
1: now. How strange. The doll is saying what I'm thinking, too. (laughs) What are you thinking, my dear? I'm thinking how I love the prairie. I can't imagine living anywhere else now. But I've always thought you wanted to go back to Maine. I've never said that. No, you didn't. And I never asked because I was afraid of what you might say. The girls are thrilled.
0: Kirsten, it's your turn again. Do you like it here in Minnesota? <clears throat> oh, yes. You're Mr. Boardman. Uh, ouch. <laughs> I mean, ouch.
1: I thought you planned to go to California. Go to California? Yes, to join your brother. I've thought you planned to live there. Not at all. I never said that. No, you didn't. I suspected it, but I never asked because I didn't think it was proper. My life is here. Believe me. I do believe you.
3: Kirsten and Anna scramble to join Lisbeth, and all three girls peek over the bush
1: at the couple. We didn't say what was in our hearts, so we've both been worrying about the wrong things. It's true, and there's something else in my heart that I want to tell you. Come walk with me, please. Mr. Boardman offers
3: Miss Winston his arm, and they exit. The girls jump to their feet in excitement. Kirsten, your plan
0: worked. Now he'll ask her. Oh, please, please, Mrs. Miss Winston, will you be my wife?
2: I will, I will. I will. The
3: girls hug one another in triumph and delight. And scene.
2: Okay.
0: Wow. (laughs) Woo. Allison, you playing both Mr. Boardman and Miss Winston was really inspired casting in a sense. Thank you. Wow. Wow. Here's the thing. No worries. We were just
1: reflecting what Kirsten and her friends were playing out. With the voices not matching. It, it works, I think.
0: <laughs> Margaret, your thoughts? I mean, how, did, how are you feeling? Like, do we need to pay for a therapy session for you? Like, where I are you at? Totally just,
2: like, this play is so weird. Um, like, I, I know that, um, you know, there are a lot of rigid gender roles, but I think do you want to move to California is like, you're allowed. I, I don't buy Miss Winston's uh, insistence that you can never ask a man what his plans are. I feel like you're, you know, you can. Um, but also right. if he's, if they're so focused on, obviously the um, the important properness of things, I think relying on like a overheard doll talk is probably also in the realm of not proper. No. would be my guess.
0: I mean, it's a weird boundary. And I'm wondering if what kind of etiquette book would say you may not ask a man his plans, but you may allow nine-year-old children to instruct you on major life decisions through doll play.
1: I think Janet was showing us exactly where she was with this by calling him Mr. Boardman. He's a boardman. man. First of all, we've never met him before. He can't be that relevant. He hasn't been popping in and out of the classroom. He's not Amos, so that's a disappointment. But I feel like this was a way for them to, like, map queer desire onto the girls for each other for the dolls and for them to, like, ritualistically get married to each other and the dolls. And a way for Anna to finally be like, I never forgot that you have silk underwear.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. I mean, I forgot, but I'm glad you didn't forget. And it is interesting that Anna does say, will you marry me in the play? Yes.
2: And that Kirsten answers in her own voice per the directions. I also, maybe it's weird. It's like, we're playing that she's sick. And it's like, maybe that's not that big of a joke to Kirsten. Uh, That like, and also the truth is that even though they did know what was wrong with Marta, it was not like a mystery what was wrong with her. Her articulating that is not what could have led to her being treated. Um, so it seems like a weird way for them to play, um, especially then to just lead into um, a marriage farce. It just seems like a, a strange clash.
0: It's a weird clash. Uh, like reenacting
2: the worst thing that has happened. And then also this kind of Cyrano um, attempt.
0: It's weird to kind of do a Cyrano adaptation in which children are the experts and adults are like children or don't know what to do, like in terms of basic life decisions or questions you can ask other adults. It's a weird move for children's books, I think. And I'm trying to think of other like comparative books I've read for children that do this kind of thing. But
1: But The Parent Trap is a parent trap. It takes two, you know. But I feel like. The bigger thing for Mr. Boardman is, like, if he's been reading the newspapers, it's 1855.
0: You like, the, train, the best
1: years of the forty eight forty 49ers are over.
0: It's done. Like, that's not going to go anywhere great.
1: No. I want her to go back to Maine, actually, but that's different.
0: I think her and
2: Amos are end game.
0: Yeah, they are. I agree with you. It's kind of like the Mary Kay Letourneau, but legal in this time period situation. Although there isn't the age difference, they're basically like pretty similar in age. But
2: they're the same age. They're both nineteen. Yeah, yeah.
0: I can't. I can't sit with that fact. To me, she's like forty three if she's a day. Like she's like Glenn Close in Sarah Plain and Tall. Yeah, like that's Miss Winston to me.
1: Now, can we talk about how?
0: Well,
2: why? Miss Winston, like, she's definitely, like, snooty, but I don't –
0: She just, like, she's so much more mature to me than Amos that it creates a false, like, distance in age, which I know is not real. But the maturity gap feels bigger than even the period would allow. Like, of course, like, boys are allowed to be immature sometimes longer than women in this period, but – or still now. But uh, it feels like they're not the same age to me, and I can't get past it. I don't know why. I guess I
2: envisioned him eventually graduating, her continuing to be the teacher, and then him having his kind of maturation process occurring outside of the classroom. And then Mm -hmm. obviously, he's like diligent about getting water. He thinks about other people's needs. (laughs) There's a lot of house building stuff that he would eventually have his cabin, his pipelines, whatever. And they'd like bump into (laughs) each other somewhere and, you know, it's like come together, right? So, like, it's never appropriate for students and teachers to date. Like, that's a terrible context. But once someone has graduated, you're in the same age bracket. They're literally the same age. There's not a ton of options. Um, we still have I a mean, pretty remote um, sort of dating pool here. Just seems like an obvious way to kind of uh, find yeah. their paths back to each other. It kind
0: of reminds me of a reversed gender version of this. Is on Little House on the Prairie. the show when Melissa Gil, when um, Half Point, AK Melissa Gilbert in this iteration wants to date Almanzo, who's a decade older than her. And he's like, nope, you're a child, you're still in school. And she has that magical hair transformation where she goes from wearing her hair in braids to in a bun. And suddenly that she's like, I'm a woman now. Like Mm -hmm. I am the teacher. I I was a student in this school last week. Now I've been promoted to teacher. I wear my hair in a bun. Therefore we can be together. And he's basically like, well, who might argue with that? So on to the next season. It's magical. By the way, we learned over the weekend that her cameo cost $50. And I'm just saying, like, we can it might be worth reach it. reach those stars. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> she seems to record them in bed. So it's like, I don't really know what's happening. But I will investigate further.
1: Now, where we leave Kirsten at the end, we don't get a lot of closure on her family story, other than the fact that her father is coming back and other people are moving away to Oregon. We do get a really interesting peek into the past, which they call Changes for America, you know, to parallel Changes for Kirsten. And I wanted us to talk briefly, like they throw a lot into five pages. They're like, in case you were thinking about it, the Transcontinental Railroad does happen in her lifetime. I was thinking about it. They throw to Goaty's Ladies book, which we love. They throw to a lot of things. I think you know what I'm going to say. They talk about the Sears catalog. And the reason why this is important to us There was a young girl who loved, loved this year's catalog. And the only thing she loved more than that was the town sex worker whose makeup she emulated in her own lifetime. Correct. And you very kindly treated me to a musical production last weekend. I don't want to say it was on par with the play we just performed, but
0: Nothing could be that good.
1: Nothing could be that good. You took me to Dolly Parton's Christmas Carol.
0: Dolly Parton's Smoky Mountain, A Christmas Carol. And I just want to say that my favorite moment in this production was before it actually began. So Allison and I are sitting with Anna in our seats. We're waiting for the show to begin. There's a giant sign on the stage that says Dolly Parton's Smoky Mountain, A Christmas Carol. And Allison turns to me no context and says, this will be really fun because it's like, we've all had enough of A Christmas Carol. Okay. And I... I sort of was like, that's weird that Allison's like dissing a Christmas carol and we're literally about to spend hours of our lives watching a Christmas carol. And then within five minutes, Allison turns to me and says, wait a second, is this a Christmas carol? It wasn't clear.
1: Allison, it's in the title. It was Smoky (laughs) Mountain It was in front of us. Dickens doesn't own Christmas and carol together. It didn't have a. Margaret, a ruling, please.
2: You thought it was just going to be like, Christmas carols, the songs in In, a Dolly Parton. In a Dolly Parton
1: context. Yeah.
2: I mean, it sounds nice. (laughs) Right? Like, wow.
0: But she wrote a whole Christmas carol
1: about the catalog. And it's called Wish Book. And it was like how her family would pour over the Sears catalog, which is fascinating because that play is set in the 1930s. Her own childhood is later than that. And according to this back of the book, Kirsten would have been doing the very same in her lifetime. I'm not saying Kirsten is Dolly Parton's predecessor, but I'm saying they're connected.
0: Could be. I also wonder, there's my favorite, absolute favorite moment of this play is that it follows, it's set in 1937 in the Smokies and it follows a labor dispute at a coal mine. Scrooge owns the coal mine and the, the company store and everything in the town. Okay. Mm-hmm. So there's a labor's protest at the mine, and they have a scene where everyone in the cast is striking, and somebody holds up a sign that simply says, unfair. Unfair. (laughs) They're like, I'm really mad. I'm taking to the streets. I'm making a sign. I'm going to put the fullest expression of my disgust on this sign. And they're like, what word would encapsulate that? You're just like, unfair. You use
1: nouns. You don't use adjectives. You use nouns
0: not in this show yeah no it's not true. in this show <laughs> but it's it was stunning I've been thinking about it ever since there was also a woman se- seated below us who had a, a homemade hair ribbon that I could not get my eyes on but I think there was a portrait of Dolly on it and it's just like I need to know what arts and crafts situation was happening there <sighs> never got close enough but you know it's it stayed with me but it it the Sears catalog was also something I thought about as well as something that would have opened up their world because peeking into the past really this time around was about the ways that their world would get smaller for them. So I think we're supposed to get that Kirsten's family was somewhat isolated in Minnesota, as Margaret pointed us to. Miss Winston had a very limited dating pool, among other things, to draw on. But the Sears catalog could really make your life seem make the world smaller or come to your door in the sense that. We're having the transcontinental radio, mail circulation. Now, look, I know people think the history of mail is not sexy. I get that. But when you're thinking about the communication revolution and the things that bind us all together, the extension of mail to rural areas is actually important. And that happens in Kirsten's lifetime. Here and we're we go. moving on. I'm just saying I'm not getting into it. That's all I'm going to say about mail. But like. The fact that she could get the catalog to her door and that the catalog starts in eighteen ninety four but it quickly expands to be beyond just jewelry and watches what was what the first Sears mailer was about to be like literally anything you could order barber sh- barber chairs, clothing, eventually they had swatches of fabrics you could order um paint swatches were not maybe unique to the Sears catalogue, but one of the first places we see those commercially. so it's a way of making their whole world smaller. I was actually fiendishly trying to find an 1890 Sears catalog that I could pull from to find if there was like some kind of home fire prevention kit that they sold that we could have wished for Kirsten or maybe like a shovel to bury a body should you find one in the wild as you steal all of their property. But maybe a textbook on estate law that kind of makes plain that you can't really take someone's property after death without doing a proven search for their descendants or loved ones. But No such luck. They're all paywalled. I can't get access. So I'm going to have to wait on that one.
1: When I worked in an um, 1870s, 1880s store, we used to show people catalogs to give them a sense. Um, One of my favorite parts about this peek into the past is it tries to sort of relate to you by saying that Kirsten ordered from catalogs. And it's like very much like you ordering from (laughs) the American girl catalog. And it says, um, by the time Kirsten was a young woman, this kind of shopping started a new industry, the mail order business today, people still shop from mail order catalogs, except now they call on the telephone and their orders are brought to them by trucks and airplanes, as well as trains. It's like half of that. Probably. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, like the Jeff Be- Bezos of it all kind of is dark in terms of this. And even looking up, if you actually search the Sears archive, there is a web archive of Sears and the history of the business. You can't read the catalogs on our site, just spoiler alert, but it gives you a history of it all. And they end by saying that Sears has transitioned to a digital only business platform. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of dark to think that we grew up reading these books and buying things from catalog and we're getting close to the holiday season. But like, approaching christmas and salivating over the catalog and what you would want in an ideal world which often like you would probably not get but that that kind of experience of like holding a catalog in your hands is so foreign now probably i mean i got one in the mail i don't know how i got one this year i've never gotten one in years but um it is it's kind of weird that american girl is somewhat unique in that sense or it was entirely catalog and now is mostly not
1: I will say too, there's a piece of the back of this. And if you're interested in kind of the housework piece of Kirsten's life, There's a lot of assumptions made about how catalogs and new kinds of products that women would have been using, particularly changes in stove technology, would have made Kirsten's life easier, even though she still would have had to work hard. And if that's something that interests you, More Work for Mother is this really brilliant, systematic book that looks at all these different kinds of tasks that a Kirsten would have done across this exact kind of lifetime And she makes the argument that people well into the 20th century are actually doing just as much, if not more hard labor when it comes to housework because of the way that things like toilets move inside. So with toilets being like proper indoor with plumbing, functioning, it means that a task that was reserved for men outside moves in. Um, When women start using cast iron stoves or when that technology changes, it's more work for women because more of the mess is inside. and It's not handled through firewood by men. So there are certain parts that do track. What I always find disappointing is in the changes book, it goes and it zooms out so far. It's just kind of like women as this broad stroke. And we kind of lose like, well, what, what, Kirsten may have done might have been different. Like the way that she is so lit up by this idea of Oregon, the way that she's so nosy, like she could have been a reporter. Like there are other things that could have happened to her. I have this vision of her as like an old racist going to the Columbian Exposition and just loving it. But that's not here.
0: Wow. <laughs> wow. That's okay. not wrong. No, it's she not wrong. She loved the
1: train. She loves Chicago. She remembers Marta there. Yeah, She goes and she's like, I hate the Haymarket Riot. Like, not here for any of that. She goes straight to, like, the main Minnesota building. She has a lot of snacks.
0: And then down I, the street in Wild Bill Cody's Wild West show. She
1: loves it. Singing I think Bird, she does.
0: Singing Bird is a cast member. Moved from off of her lands now to being a white spectacle.
1: She looks right past her.
0: Margaret, have we horrified you at the end of this? No. What are I, your thoughts? I, <laughs> uh catalogs peek into the past anything
2: sure I mean obviously like I think anyone around my age like your strongest association with American Girl is the catalog like that's actually like its most primal like mode of communication like even more than playing with the dolls even more than reading the books and I did that a lot Like I can remember, like you get the catalog and it's like, okay, I'm going to go through really, really fast. And just like, look at the big stuff. And it's like, I'm going to read every SKU number. (laughs) It's like, this is getting intense. Right. (laughs) And you have this sort of like, okay, well do I want to like, if I already have Kirsten, like, does she have like an accessory that I would want? And then it's like, you know, your parents are like, we are not buying like a $100 thing. (laughs) Like this is not happening. Um, But like this kind of like deep textual analysis of like each, paragraph in that catalog was, like, a huge, huge part of my
0: youth. Um, what was the thing you most wanted from the catalog? Hmm. I mean, like, other than, like, the doll, obviously. Um,
2: I guess I wanted to have Felicity's dress and dress up like Felicity. Um, but Like, not... Like, it wasn't that... Like, I, I guess I was, like, less fixated on that. It was more, like, I wanted like, the whole setup, kind of, like, in the catalog, which was, like, not actually for sale, it was just, like, the whole kind of, like, staging of it all, um, and I do remember my sister had Molly, and then she got, like, Molly's dog, and I wasn't jealous so much, as just, like, reverent of, like, that's a good accessory, it was. like, that's, like, that's, that's cool, it. yeah, I think, yeah, so I was, like, okay, like, respect, like, that's <laughs> a good choice from Mara.
0: Yeah, I think the Dolly Parton musical, the whole song was about the fact that everyone in town would get the Sears catalog and it would just be this object of fan, like a gateway to fantasy. Because, of course, in the Depression, none of them could afford anything in the circumstances of their lives. So even though I could have some things from the catalog, I think most of my use of the catalog was imagining having the stuff that would never be in the picture of things I could get. And even as an adult, when we went to the store, um, they have like a diner set for Mary Ellen. Mm hmm um after our time but set in the 50s and i was like whoa i have absolutely no use for this set and i don't play with dolls anymore like no shade to people who do but it was like you just feel that sense of like wow that would be so cool to have and like this kind of the the catalog is like a gateway to imagination and fantasy and for some folks for things that they couldn't materially have or whatever it was interesting to see how dolly kind of reflect on that and then like read this book Margaret, I don't know how to end this. I mean, it's like we've been through so much together. It's like <laughs> we've been traumatized not on, like, a journey from Sweden to Minnesota in 1854. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I, like,
2: this has not been traumatizing. I guess, here's what I'll say. Why are you guys so not Kirsten dance? Like, what is it that she does that's so wrong rather than, like, wow. the circumstances she's in that's that is so challenging?
1: I think... Now that I'm an adult, I recognize that if I had gotten Kirsten first, I think she may have been more of a primary role because not unlike Janet Shaw, the way that she described playing outside in the woods and kind of what that meant to her. Now that I read these, um, one of my favorite books as a child was Bridge to Terabithia. Sure. And I, I fully was reenacting aspects of that book all the time with a fort that I made for myself, with this tree that I had to swing in in the backyard, um, the way I made little stone walls around my fort, just all these things that I loved. I think I really would have connected with Kirsten differently if she had been the first one. I think part of it for me was the way that Molly was presented right from the jump as a cherished thing. And probably on some level, the fact that her story directly aligned with my grandparents' life, right? And it was just before my mother's life, like that was very exciting. Um people who love Kirsten have been so kind and generous in the way that they've talked to us. Um I think things that we've said about felicity have sent people on spirals, which is very much a felicity. Um <laughs> but the way that we've like admired the flower crown, admired her actions. I really don't have anything against her. I think as a nine-year-old girl, Molly was just everything because in retrospect too, like she was athletic, which I really wasn't, but she was awkward and she was trying the dancing. Like she tried a lot of things and she was more relatable as 20th century. Mm. So it's it's not so much like not being a Kirsten, as still just like being fully primarily Molly.
0: I think my answer is similar, both for the sense that it relates to a grandparent, like my grandmother, who I was very close to, lived in that era. And we talked, we used Molly as a way to have like conversations with each other. But also I could imagine Molly's life having more opportunity. Like as a child, mm-hmm. I saw that Molly would be able to maybe do think more things in her life than I perceived the others being able to do. And it's interesting because I was thinking about the very end of this book where you have a scene where Kirsten's friend, Mary, leaves her a note in the window of the room that presumably she'll be living in. And it's a toy of a bird on one side and a cage on the other with strings. And if you pull it fast enough, you can kind of trick the light to make the bird seem in the cage. And I think when I was a kid, if I had read this book again, before Molly, I would have seen her life as kind of like more like the bird, like liberated. She's out in the woods exploring. I think that would have been really cool to me in the way that she really valued her friends, and I did too. But I think there was always a part of me that focused more on the cage and with her, and I don't know why. And maybe it's not fair, but um, I think being in a housewife role was something that always terrified me, even from a child. And I don't know why again. But I hate. I do not like domestic anything, like. Thanksgiving is always a 911 for me because I have to do all the pies and it's like I basically like lose it every year and it always works out but it's not my scene. So I think for Molly, I always thought, well, she's wearing pants and she lives in an era when maybe she could have a job outside the home maybe. So that seemed to have resonated more. Again, this could all be wildly unfair. And my <laughs> deepest fear is that we get to Molly and Allison and I both are like, "Oh god." Yeah we didn't remember any of this and this actually isn't how we would see ourselves now.
2: Sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it, like I did recently reread all of the Molly books as well. Um, they're, they're closer to exactly what I remembered. And I think part of that was I did wind up playing those out with my grandma a lot as well. So like that was like a sort of more um, like developed memory, I guess, of just like what happens in those books. But I also, I guess for me like as a kid and then even now in a lot of ways, like, I was always I was really into um, like wilderness narratives. I was really into the book *Julie of the Wolves*, oh, and then *Hatchet* God. was like a huge yes. I was obsessed with *Hatchet*. Um, and so stuff where like uh, like in all of the ways, obviously that um, Kirsten's life and and probably everybody, maybe except for Molly, but including Molly too, that it, you have like so much like such a level of like conscription, and, and you're sort of like like these like rigid gender roles, but also like the social rigidity of basically everything is going to sort of force you into this really small box of what your life is going to include. But at the flip for me was like, Oh, but they're doing all this like stuff that is really cool. That is very different from my experience. So in all of the ways that I have like, obviously more rights as a human being, and then just like, you know, like a better, healthier, safer life than they would ever have. Like some of the stuff that they do, I did see as like very cool in this way that like Molly kind of like goes to tap class and like, um, like the guys like after school clubs and then like her family goes to church it's like "Ah, i can do that stuff you know like (laughs) like yeah "Yeah, call me when something cool happens (laughs) like where is this it's like we're going in the woods and it's like yay did you find
0: (laughs) reading anything as an adult soured you on the stories or it was like this is too like not triggering but in a sense like this was something in my childhood i didn't like and i don't want to read about it in a certain light What do you mean? Well, I mean, like for me, I didn't read Josefina when I was a kid. I just read them for this show. But like truthfully, that was a really tough experience for me to read those books because I found like as a queer person, like Catholicism and the ways it so defines their life was so closely related to how I was raised and not to denigrate Catholicism or folks who are devoted to it. But for me as a queer person, it's been very difficult to like be both in and outside of a family that still defines itself as such. So I think to read those books now, I think would have affected me more than in a negative way than it would have as a child when I was still very much in it. So I think in some ways, like reading the books as an adult, you do reflect differently on certain things.
2: Weirdly, the biggest shift as an adult was rereading the Samantha books. They were substantially different Um, And some of, like, Samantha's attitudes were different than I had remembered. And I had envisioned her. And, like, maybe it's because, like, as not a Samantha, I think the image of Samantha's is that they're, like, fussy, um, maybe, like, a little stuck up. um, And, like, more into, like, frilly stuff. And that, like, as, like, a Kirsten or Felicity, you're sort of like, that is um frivolous and like unsympathetic um and then actually i found samantha to be like a much stronger activist and like really interesting mm-hmm. um like sort of countercultural um had had sort of like a countercultural perspective for her time in a way that i had not interpreted and broadly does not seem to be the way people interpret her now but um i'm excited to listen to what you guys have to say about those books because like it was definitely different um Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest stuff is that, like, I had remembered these books as having, like, a much clearer banner of, like, I hesitate to say, but, like, girl power stuff. And what actually they are is just, like, a pretty good lived experience of a girl. And that, like, because you're spending time in, like, things that consider the interior lives of women are feminist, right? Like, that's, like, just sort of by nature of the fact that they are depicting a woman as an actual human being um but i thought there would be a lot more like girls can't do blank and then it's like yes i can it's like and they could right <laughs> which is like a narrative of a lot of books i definitely read as a kid um and i was vaguely i guess had like lumped american girl into that but that's not really true um and rereading the books there's a lot of like like some of the skepticism they face it's less about like girls can't or shouldn't do blank and just like this is itself dangerous or this is m- much more commonly it's just like you're not old enough to mm. do blank and the kind of like independence that they're each seeking at various points in the stories has a lot less to do with um, gender roles and a lot more to do with just your role as a child um, and I think uh, that was that was definitely different than, than what I had remembered and how I kind of like categorized it. And maybe that also goes in, I was a very big fan of American girl magazine. And I think a lot of the stuff in that magazine has like a very, um, obviously like oriented towards like, um, like an empowerment narrative and a sort of, um, don't let anybody kind of put you in a box narrative that I had incorrectly kind of lumped in with, with the books too, which is not quite what they do.
1: I think what we're noticing too, is these books were written, even just the original ones were covering over a more than 10 year period, And there really is a big difference, I think, between these first three that came out. Like we've been reading first editions of these books, which have like the very simple logo for Kirsten, Samantha and Molly. I think we're going to see a huge difference because they got feedback. And I think where we noticed something really different was with Felicity. That really is kind of the uber American girl because she's grounded in a very specific place, a very specific time. She's like the smartest for marketing. That's why she gets a movie, right? Like all these very specific events happen. I think these, like you're saying, they're really more just people in a context. Whereas the more and more I think about Felicity, it's so brilliantly written for a series of products. And for um, a whole thing. Sorry, my cat is like right. You're gonna see him in a second. <laughs> Ray. He's been Ray, trying Ray. to do this the whole time.
0: Sorry. It's exciting that Margaret gets to meet Raymond. <laughs>
2: the only reason my cat is not currently on screen is that she's asleep. What is your cat's name? Binocular Jones. <gasps> what? But I, I call her. We call her Binocs. B apostrophe N-O-X.
0: Love that.
1: He just like needed to be part of the episode. He was like, "Oh, you're talking a little bit too much about women. I'm here." Um, <laughs> he's a misogynist. We'll talk about it some other. He is, well, well, he has like internalized
0: episode. misogyny because, of course, he did begin his life with everyone assuming he was a woman and yeah. he was named Rachel. And then a vet trip did reveal that he's in fact, you know, so he's also a gender essentialist. That is, yeah, yeah. It's tough, oh. you know. It's not great. Um, <laughs> It's not now,
1: we, no, we we should tell everyone we are not done with Kirsten. Like we actually have a few more really exciting Kirsten developments. So if you feel like they didn't talk about flower crowns enough, they didn't talk about headwear, they didn't talk about her love affair with fire, we're not done.
0: No, we have plenty more to go. We have, we went and did a cooking. Well, we've done the cooking episode, mm-hmm. which we survived. That was brave of us. And then we're going to talk to someone who's actually making all historically accurate reproductions of Kirsten's outfits. So we will explore that, which should be very cool. Um, Margaret, by way of closing, and if we got a Kirsten movie, which we did not for kirsten back in the 80s or even today who would you cast who is like even an adult kirsten where would you Ooh, go wow. with this?
2: that's hard um oh now i'm like on the spot i have no idea i mean um, does
0: kirsten dunst play a role at all i mean does her name give her a leg up or are we just you're not feeling it
2: i guess i do like i, I because she's like once you're amy march you're gonna always be amy march for me um i feel like i can't like not to disrespect her as an actress i think she's a terrific actress but like you cannot in my head be amy march and kirsten larson that's just you could like that's those don't go together wow um brie larson
1: Okay. I don't. <laughs> I don't, see I don't, that. It's not just the name. I actually feel like she has the right demeanor. Like if she can do that much with a single room, I believe in her.
2: <laughs> Fair. I guess like I think of a kind of like Jodie Foster. Right. Ooh, with like, wow. like, yeah. like like she's very like, practical, you know, like, like when Kirsten's like fantasizing about stuff, she's not like, I'm going to be so rich. She's like, I don't want to be covered in throw up.
0: You know, yes. like these
2: are like, I think there's sort of like a kind of like weary um practicality to a lot of
0: that i feel like it's sort of jodie foster-ish yes i think that that could be true
1: i want isla fisher for aunt anger okay why i just do i mean she's gonna dye her hair for the role i think she has a lot of intellect that's not on the surface i just i think she would do a really good job with the role and i think she has greater bandwidth than we give her credit for
0: who's getting cast as lars I feel like he's a Muppet, like a sort of Muppet Christmas Carol style where you
2: have, like, unremarked on combinations of, like, people and Muppets as, like, like being part of the same family, same workplaces, whatever. That, like, um, I feel like, honestly, I would have said Aunt Inger as well is, like, probably going to code Muppet for me. Um, sort of, like, very much in, like, the Emmett Otter's Jug Band kind of vibe of, like, his mom feels very Aunt Inger to me. Um
1: We'll post yeah. the picture. Eric Von Detten in the heyday of Disney Channel movies. That era looks exactly like Lars on the photo where he's in the cave with the dead body. Eric Von Detten of Brink fame. Ooh, a little past my time. We'll d- we'll do a side by side. Sorry, <laughs> but they they do look a lot alike. If he's not a Muppet, he's definitely that.
0: Wow, wow. We've we've covered a lot of ground tonight. I'm proud of we us. Have. We made it. We've come this far. Margaret, thank you so much. I don't even know how to begin to thank you. And is there anything that you want to plug right now? And also, where can people find your amazing work, including recently (laughs) lauding Madam Secretary, (laughs) which is the show I most like to watch when I'm at my parents' house. It's Um, a a
2: show that's like you watch it at a hotel and you're like, why don't I watch this? This is good. I
0: know. It's actually really good. I know. I think that all the time. And also um, Callie Torres is now on that show. Sada Ramirez. Is that her name? Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot happening. There's, there's a lot, a lot happening.
2: happening. So you can follow me on Twitter at margin charge. And then I write the watching newsletter for the New York times. That's free. You don't need to be a time subscriber though. Of course, obviously we hope you are, but um, you can find that at nytimescom newsletters watching.
0: Excellent. So, thank you so much. We so appreciate your time and your genius and your dreamcasting. <laughs> and, you know, please keep us up to date with any and all like dreamcasting ideas, any hot takes on any of the books. You know, we don't want to do your, we don't want to do you wrong here.
2: <laughs> well, I have to tell you guys, like I'm I'm just like a huge huge fan of the podcast and this has been a total thrill for me.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right, everyone. That's our show. Thanks so much for listening as always. Please check us out online and send us all of your hot takes on Kirsten, on our play, on really anything on your minds. We love to hear from you. So you can find us on Instagram at American Girls Podcast, on Twitter at A Girls pod. You can find Allison at Allison Horrocks on both Twitter and Instagram. You can find me at Mimi Mahoney on Instagram and at Mary Mahoney 123 on Twitter. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you in the next episode.